It's the Smart Driving Cars podcast. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University. Hi again, Alan. Hey, good morning, Fred. I hope you're staying healthy, you and the family. Absolutely. You know, well, I was better a long time ago, but haven't been, I'm doing great. Good. Well, joining us from VIA is the Director of Public Policy, Andre Greenewald. Glad to have you on board, Andre. Great to be here. Andre, great to have you. Well, VIA is a company that provides ride-sharing transportation and mobility in more than 20 countries around the world. Give us a little more of an overview of what VIA is all about. Sure. And it's great to be with you, Fred and, and Alan, particularly. Good to see you uh, healthy, uh, even despite uh, these circumstances. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks. Uh, and, and love having you because, uh, uh, again, we wanted to have you because for a while I thought ride sharing might be dead. And uh, apparently it's not. And and it can't be and, and so on. So um, uh, please uh, uh, give us a little background. Sure. So VIA is a uh, leading provider of public mobility solutions. We work with uh, cities, transit agencies, universities, and private operators across the world to uh, power fleets of on-demand, dynamically routed uh, shuttles uh, that are typically part of the public transit network. We also have started to work with cities on other forms of mobility, whether that is working with school district districts to improve uh, the tracking and routing of school buses. Uh, we are also working to make uh, paratransit function more effectively in several places now, and also working with governments on um, dynamic congestion pricing schemes. And as you mentioned, we are now in 20 plus countries. We have more than uh, 100 partnerships uh, across the world. We are working with cities and communities of all sizes from, from um, rural low density areas to the biggest cities in the world, um, and they are working with us to improve mobility in a variety of ways while reducing greenhouse gas emissions in the transportation sector. Yeah, it's really good because uh, really um, uh, transit, uh, conventional transit is pretty much um, um, in trouble right now. And I think what you're doing is is, is providing a, a, a new alternative and a new opportunity for them. And, um, and it's great having you um, in the sector. Yeah, I think we've, you know, and this is something we've seen a dramatic change, I would say, o- over the last couple of years when VIA... Uh, first launched in New York uh, many years ago, um, we had this notion of working with transit agencies providing our technology, but there wasn't, uh, we hadn't proven it yet, there wasn't an appetite to innovate in this way. Uh, And so we launched our own service in New York. You know, we've done, uh, between our partnerships uh, and our other services, we've done over 75 million rides now and um, shown and demonstrated how this can work. And so cities are bringing us in for a variety of use cases now, which is, which is exciting. And we're you know, just seeing massive growth in the partnerships uh, business over the last 18 months. But whether it's uh, first last mile connections to transit stations or bringing us in to serve an area that is uh, poorly covered by public transit uh, at the moment or bringing us in to serve particular populations, uh, you know, some places are, are targeting uh, transportation for seniors or folks with disabilities. Uh, it's just been really exciting to see the variety of ways that we can apply our technology, which is 
which is dynamic and also highly adaptive. And so it allows us to partner uh, in this multitude of ways with cities, transit agencies and, and other operators. And yeah, I mean, it's really good to see that because uh, transit companies have been, you know, we'll provide some service out there. We'll design a bus route. We'll give it the schedule. And then uh, you uh, you make that fit within you, whatever you want to do, uh, as opposed to looking at the customer and seeing what the customer might want to do and places the customer wants to go and be able to, to respond uh, to that uh, in a demand responsive way. And it's really nice to have seen that that shift uh, beginning to take place uh, in the transit industry. It has to because, because, because of course, otherwise, you know, they'll have even a smaller market share of the, of the rides. And investors are, are taking note, taking note, Andre, just a few days ago, you announced that uh, you've raised uh, series E financing to expand the business and it values via at $2.25 billion. Congratulations. Yeah, thank congratulations. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I really appreciate that. I think uh, obviously we're in a uh, just difficult time for the world, an unsettling time. Uh, but uh, for Via, this was uh, um, you know a really exciting announcement that I think is a real testament to our our long term vision. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, we announced this um, big investment earlier this week. Um, it's the closing of our Series E round of financing led by Exor, which. Um, which is a major holding company uh, in Europe uh, with uh, investment stakes in, uh, you know, companies like Fiat Chrysler, the Economist uh, Group, the Juventus Football Club, uh, and um, they um, led this round with an investment of two hundred million dollars, uh, which is a, a very significant um, act of faith in sort of our vision uh, of the future. And they, um, you know, I think are a are a company that. Uh, is in it for the long run, as are we. So uh, despite these times, uh, which are you know difficult across the mobility space, this was um, you know a big a big step for Via uh, towards our our mission of working with cities and transit agencies to improve transit uh, for for years and years and years to come. It's enormously big to have occurred at this particular time because because uh, so many transit agencies are are and transit is in all kinds of trouble um, um, for. Again, because of the way that uh, they operate, and because of their inflexibility, and and all that, and and um, and so for you to to basically close this at this time is is enormously good news. Well, tell us, uh, Andre, about the impact of COVID nineteen from your perspective, the impact on cities, transportation, and your operations. It's no secret that. Uh, you know, I think across the board on the mobility front, people are not moving around their cities at the moment as we have uh, stay-at-home orders uh, across the country uh, and in many parts of the world. So uh, we, of course, have seen uh, declining ridership uh, in our deployments, as has every other mobility company, as has every single public transit agency and city out there. I think one thing we have been able to do is to uh, move quickly to transition some of our services to actually addressing and helping cities address the crisis. So, and that's across a number of fronts. So in Berlin, for example, our service there with the BBG, which is the Public Transit Authority, has shifted now to a overnight uh, service from 9 p.m. to I think 6.30 a.m. We are providing free rides for healthcare workers. So during those overnight hours when public transit 
is not as robust, we're able to uh, get um, these workers uh, who are at the front lines here to hospitals, to other healthcare facilities. Um, in uh, Columbus, we're working with CODA, which is the trans agency there, to look at uh, how they might think about adjusting their uh, bus service uh, in this time, right? So it may not make sense to run the exact same fixed route bus network during this period where people are of course not it does riding and, and and you can fill in you gaps know. with on demand so we're working with them on that and we're also working on uh, food delivery and uh, and other things and sorry this is my uh, son gibson who just uh I'm who just ran in the door hi gibson yeah, yeah. well of course i mean you know pe- but people still need to move there there are certainly uh, the the emergency services and all the healthcare services people have to go they have to go home they have to go to work and and those okay, kinds okay. of things uh so there's there's an enormous amount of that that, that is still going on and and the, the systems have to be flexible enough to serve them uh all those folks don't have cars yeah and and, and you know it's and it's of course not just healthcare workers right we have yes. um workers at key utilities we have grocery store workers grocery stores i mean i mean if they don't show up at the grocery stores and this and the shelves aren't stocked which is typically done at night oh my goodness we're really going to go crazy i mean it's going to be really ugly out there yeah so we're working with elements go ahead yeah and we're working with uh you know we're we're just trying to be there to help i think we have technology that uh, is adaptable and can be deployed very, very quickly. And so in these types of crises, uh, there are great advantages to, to, to that being the case. And so in a number of our deployments, we're changing you know, uh, the coverage zone so that it maybe incorporates more hospitals, more pharmacies, more grocery yeah. stores. You know, LA Metro, our project with them was focused on first mile, last mile to transit stations. Well, now it's more focused on getting people to those essential services that are still uh, open. And these... Um, these changes in Berlin and, and our work with Columbus and LA Metro and a number of other places across the world, uh, we're doing goods delivery in Malta, which is a new thing uh, there in our service there. We're able to do that very, very quickly. We're talking about a matter of days. Some of these changes have happened in a matter of 24 hours. And that is, um, I think, a key benefit of this uh, type of technology is that you can, you can adjust it uh, and apply it to these new situations very, very quickly. Well, we might say, you know, resilience. I think maybe the the new word and all these things. You, we used to do things for absolute optimization, the most efficient. But now we're seeing that what's most, what's best to have is is the resilience, the ability to turn on a dime, to to pivot, to be able to take advantage of both new opportunities and 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 to address uh, uh, new difficulties and new challenges, which is perfect for all of you guys. No, I was just going to say this is probably could be its own whole episode of this, this next topic, but right, that it, it's it's, no, it's unclear sort of like what the future is going to look like in, in terms of transportation and mobility. And I think, uh, uh, you know, I think the only certainty is that it's it's either going to take a very long time uh, to get back to where we were, and I think there's elements of our transportation okay, system that are never going to get back to where they were likely. So, um, okay. so I think the ability to be nimble, to act quickly, to adjust is, is going to be critically important during this time, and also. Uh, once we get through this uh, crisis. Absolutely. Your perspective having this global operation is pretty unique, I think, in that you're going to be able to experience the rebound in certain parts of the world and take that experience and bring it here to the U.S. and and other countries. 
as this virus moves through. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, sorry. I'm just I'm trying to block out my my son. No, wants to no that, that, that's all right. Hey, look, he wants to comment look, on your uh, global challenges question. So I think uh, absolutely. You know, this is part of the, the, the new reality. This is the way we be. You know, this is reality. Go ahead. Go. It's wonderful. Uh, and and now you hear my baby in the background, too. I think, um, you know, Fred, you're, you're absolutely right. I think there are just, uh, you know, we have a technology that we can uh, change for our partners, but, you know, cities and communities and their transportation mobility needs, it's a very, very local thing, right? So even, even though uh, a lot of the big picture things uh, are the same challenges, exactly how you implement these things and what the most effective public transit network is in a particular community and, and w- what are the places where transit ridership is going to bounce back more quickly than other places? It's going to be very different, uh, you know, in communities across the U.S. and across the world. And so, you know, we will we will have to do our best to, to be there for cities and transit agencies and work with them uh, in the most efficient, uh, nimble way we, we can. And I think it'll be um, uh, critical for, uh, you know, transportation operators and, and government uh uh, to be able to adjust to whatever uh, these changes in this new uh, order is in the future. I mean, it's like, who knows what's going to happen with commuting patterns and how that's going to look uh, in the future. Who knows if, you know, how long presumably people are going to feel more comfortable in their private cars for at least some period of time. How long is that going to last? I think there's a lot of uncertainty out there. The, the the resilience of the whole system is really important. Its ability to be able to really react to the demand uh, changes and react to the situation changes is absolutely critical. You've you've said it very well. Yeah, one one sees it for those of us that happen to have cars available to us. You know, with those cars, we tend to be able to turn on a dime and and change things. Uh, just think of some people who who. Um, don't or for whatever reason don't have access to a car or or have to use transit and so on uh, what the heck i mean you know they're they're so stuck it's unbelievable and and that's just such a shame and it's an opportunity that really transit hasn't taken advantage of up to this point in time maybe they haven't had the technology to do it and of course you know one of the things that we continue to promote at one point, uh, you know, maybe we're going to be able to have these things be driverless so that, in fact, we can then look at delivering all this this mobility and this flexibility um, uh, much more affordably uh, because, uh, you know, not many of us can afford a chauffeur. And um, and so, therefore, um, uh, if we can do it without that without the, the, that particular labor labor cost associated with it, uh, then it's all that much more uh, an opportunity to provide uh, uh, mobility as a service out there for people to improve the, their quality of life throughout the, the spectrum of, of of the economy. Andre, what are yeah, your thoughts about driverless and, and uh, the role it will play? in via in the years to come. Yeah, that was a great series of points. So I think on uh, on the uh, autonomous vehicles front, we absolutely uh, see our technology powering uh, fleets of on-demand, uh, dynamically routed shared autonomous vehicles uh, in the future, which I think as, as we've discussed before, um, having, having AVs be shared will be critical for 
congestion and environmental emissions. Uh, and, and affordability. Economic, I mean, and affordability, know, affordability and economic mobility. I mean, exactly. So you don't have to be crawling to somebody saying, give me money, give me money, give me money. You know, that, uh, my goodness, the government, hey, after it passes out this amount of money, uh, guess what? Um, uh, the graduating seniors are going to be paying for this for the next 20, 30 years. They aren't going to have any money to, to put into these things. So whatever. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. Uh, and we um, and we've done some work already on this front. We did a uh, a pilot in Irvine, California with Hyundai and Pony AI. We have a pilot in Australia with uh, Easy Mile and a local bus operator there. So we're, we're working with other companies in partnership on that. And just to your broader point, Alan, I think uh, we'll see sort of what the impacts of this, of this crisis are in the medium uh, and long term. But we have massive economic and social mobility challenges in our country that are not currently addressed by our transportation system. We have the existential crisis of uh, greenhouse gas emissions. These things are not going away, and we need solutions uh, for them, to your point. And, and, and it's all works the people who suffer the most uh, as a result of these dynamics, as a result of the insufficiency of our public transit uh, networks, which operate fantastically in some places, but are just not nearly robust enough across the country. It's folks who are low income. It's um, uh, seniors, it's it's people with disabilities are the ones who are impacted the most. So, uh, and, and as to your Somebody, point, uh, not not everyone has the option of just hopping into their car uh, when they feel like it when this when this crisis is over. You know, transportation I think is now the second highest household expense in the country after housing right. itself. You know, these are these are problems that are not going away uh, after this. I think, you know, I should note I think one encouraging sign, uh, which I'll just we haven't talked about, is just that to see in the $2 trillion stimulus bill that the government passed that there was a massive influx of $25 billion for transit agencies, which uh, hopefully will help them weather this storm uh, and potentially also help them invest uh, in in some ways to to innovate and operate uh, kind of more effectively uh, through this crisis and then going forward after that. But that, that's a, you know, that was the single, as far as I understand it, the single largest investment in public transit, uh, in a moment in, in U.S. history, so uh, I think I think was you know quite a good moment amidst amidst all of this uh, uncertainty and uh, and time that's that's scary. Yeah, well, let, let's hope that much of it is is pointed towards you and and tor- pointed towards uh, towards the systems that are really uh, out there that are going to be resilient and and demand responsive. Uh, certainly, yes, there are niche markets. Uh, if you're commuting to New York from Jersey or Connecticut or or, or Westchester, sure, of course, get on the train. Uh, but in most other communities in the nation, uh, those trains are—that's <laughs> uh, not what you want to do. Uh, and it's more in terms of you know what Via offers and what Via is is really all about. That that, that really is 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 important. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned we 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 just uh, before this all hit, we had uh, actually launched a service with the mayor of Jersey City because even though yes. a lot of people oh, yeah, are we know New that. York, yeah, there's an issue of how do you how do you get to the train stations and there was. Uh, uh, it was incredible. It was actually, I think, our, our uh, after it launched, our fastest growing uh, partnership service yep. in our history. Uh, it was incredibly popular, or ha- has been incredibly popular. And, and some of the feedback we got was was really compelling. There was a woman who wrote in, um, a young couple, who said that, uh, you know, they they could access public transit, but required a very long walk, and it was very inconvenient. It would you know make their commutes be extremely long, or they were choosing between that and paying 
you know, for a, for a ride hail vehicle, but that was quickly adding up. They were separately trying to, while they did all that save money so they could buy a car because they thought buying a car would be the cheapest way to handle this commuting problem. And then our service launched and, you know, as they described it, it changed their lives and they stopped yeah. thinking about buying a car because they wouldn't need a car anymore because they finally had a solution that was for them. Yeah. And I think, I think the important thing about the, about the, the Jersey city example is that the issue now is, is how to make it sustainable. You know, uh, what it's required is an in, initial infusion of funds. And, and the issue is, is uh, how do you make it sustainable, which is, I guess, you know, where I end up pushing the driverless piece. If it, you know, in some places you have enough people on there, there's enough revenue to be able to pay for a driver. But in the other places, it gets pretty challenging. And so uh, really what one needs to be able to do is to get to a point where all this is affordable to provide this kind of value uh, to everyone. And given the way, uh, you know, people may end up dispersing themselves a little bit post this crisis, it's even more important to have the, that kind of mobility opportunities and options available because that's that's what people are going to need to to have uh, high quality lives. Hey, Andre, we really want to thank you. And Gibson for taking Gibson, this time. <laughs> and we want to steer people to your website, which is a ridewithvia.com. And you've got a, a great presentation on there, too. Yeah, please. Uh, yeah, please head to our website. We have a, a, a webinar that one of my colleagues did last week on um, how transit agencies and cities can respond during this emergency. Uh, and, and it also goes through some of the work that we have started to do with places like Berlin and Columbus that we mentioned earlier. So I encourage, uh, encourage people to check that out. And Jersey City, you know, you got to mention Jersey every once in a while, right? We, we still exist barely. <laughs> I know, I know. We're sad. Uh, Gibson was a uh, Gibson uh, went to the P raid last year, Alan, and uh, was extremely, extremely excited about the, the marching bands there. And was Unbelievable! No reunions this year. I mean, th- this has to be really this is really something. Princeton canceling reunions. Oh, my goodness. Well, you've already but, given the commencement speech about how the graduates are going to be paying for all this in the years to come. So. Uh, they better make a lot of money. <laughs> thank, thank you again, Andre. We'll continue in just a moment, but this is a good time to remind you about our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol M-O-T-O. You can get more information at MOTOETF.com. ETFs can be a good way to spread risk while investing in a category of stocks. To learn more, I suggest that you take a look at the white paper titled The Smart Transportation Revolution at MOTOETF.com under the Insights and News tab. That's where you'll find the information you need to learn more. Alan, Tesla surprised Wall Street reporting that it delivered 88,400 vehicles in the first quarter. Pretty amazing, I think. As I said, wow, really. I mean, uh, in a sense, uh, uh, I guess people have been trying to gauge as to how many they were really producing out there in in Shanghai and so on, and whether or not the, the cars that they had produced in Fremont, they'd be able to get them out and, and in a sense, sold, delivered, um, uh, before they had to shut down. And, uh, my goodness, um, uh, the numbers were really good and, um, hats off to them. Uh, congratulations. 
maybe the you know one of the few upticks in the economy. I guess uh, people are um, still buying um, um, uh, cars, and uh, and it seems like they're choosing uh, Teslas. I guess um, since um, we're so limited in where we can go these days, the range, range anxiety associated with the Tesla has has disappeared. Uh, uh, we're not allowed to go to Grandma's house uh, uh, 350 miles away or something like that. And who knows? Pretty soon they may close the borders. I mean, I, what uh, did Rhode Island close them to any New York State license plate or whatever? Oh, yikes! They, they rescinded that, but yeah. Oh, they yeah, rescinded yeah. that. Okay. I mean, really? I mean. Who would have ever thought? Right. Never mind. We well, don't want to. Tesla did uh, come out ahead of schedule with that Model Y crossover, which I'm sure was one of the, the big boosts in this last quarter. Yeah, it was. It probably was a boost. They had to produce them. They had to make them. And and apparently, you know, they have and they're out there. And so, uh, uh, yes, hats off to them. Um uh, wonderful news, I guess. Wonderful news. And look at this uh, tidbit. They're now the best-selling car in Iceland. <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd throw that in there. I mean, you know, there you have no range anxiety. I mean, how big's Iceland? Like, you know, <laughs> whatever. I mean, it'd be like, uh, you know, Bermuda. I guess Bermuda, it's a little bit bigger than Bermuda, but whatever. Uh, but sure, yeah. Yeah. Impressive. <laughs> Besides cars, Tesla is also now making FDA approved ventilators under an emergency situation, obviously, and sending them to hospitals around the world for free. Uh, I, you know, uh, I guess Elon doesn't spend very much money in advertising or buy AdWords at, uh, at, in Google and, and Facebook. Uh, thank you for not doing that, um, uh, Elon. But I guess he's spending money in other ways to, to get his name out there and do the promotion. Uh, what can you say? It's, it's, it's more than wonderful. Uh, more than wonderful. Uh, you know, I was, I was stuck on one of those things for 11 days when they had me strapped down and, 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 and sedated and it saved my life. And so, um, you know, and that was back. That, that in was December. not the coronavirus. We should, that was not the, yeah, I had, I had the Legionnaires variety of bacterial pneumonia. So yeah, you know, I, I had the old school one, not the new school one. And, and of course I wasn't contagious, Otherwise, I mean, Fred, you you'd be dead. I mean, yeah, yeah, you came and visited, didn't you? I mean, uh, whatever. So you know, not not to say how lucky I was to have the bacterial version and not the the viral version, but um, but hey, but where the respirator comes into play, I mean, you know, they they are very very tricky devices. And not and and they need they need um, expert supervision on them basically twenty four twenty four seven you know and for me for eleven days and you screw up in any of the settings or any of the things with that during any of that time man you lose the person so um, uh, you know they they're they're very very critical devices but uh, they save me they can save others thank you Elon. Anthony Lewandowski, the engineer who defected from Google to Uber and has been hit with this huge judgment, now says Uber owes him $180 million for his troubles and lost time. 
Probably because it looks like that's the deal that he had for doing what he did. And so, uh, you know, uh, you, with every deal, you have to look at the terms and the terms might be more important than the, than the fundamental deal. And it seems as if, uh, at least in, you know, what I've seen and I haven't really gone into it in any depth, part of the terms was that uh, that Uber was going to uh, was going to was going to cover him, was going to protect him in case uh, things went south. Things went south. Uh, seems as if, but you know, I guess it has to go through the courts and whatever and so on. No battle it out, but uh, but yeah, uh, terms are important in any deal. And so here, um, you know, those looks like they might have been the terms. Wow, quite an expense report. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, sure, but um, but I guess uh, when you're trying to recruit somebody of uh, the of the stature of Lewandowski's stature and 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 knowledge and and enthusiasm and uh, and capabilities and 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 we'll not talk about the other things but um but uh, those things um yeah there there are terms involved UC Davis has a report that says the COVID-19 crisis with so many people staying at home has cut traffic accidents especially those resulting in injuries or deaths in half. And that's likely the case elsewhere, too. And I suppose this is just common sense, right? I think it's common sense. You know, I, you know, I don't go out much. I go to outpatient um, rehab and so on, and I, you know, there's nobody out there. And, uh, of course, so, you know, if there's any silver lining in, in any of this stuff, which isn't much of a silver lining, is that, uh, sure, uh, 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 deaths on highways this year will go down and, uh, and it will be because of this. And, of course, uh, you know, the burning of, of gasoline has gone down enormously. And uh, that means the CO2 production is down, which may mean, hey, uh, you know, we're beginning to address uh, address climate change with all this. Uh, seems like a heavy cost uh, uh, to uh, gain both of those silver linings. But I guess we have to take what we can get because otherwise uh, this is very expensive on society. You know, we got into this a bit uh, with Andre before, but Wired has a report headlined, Public Transit Cuts Hurt Essential Workers Who Need It the Most. Yeah, I mean, really, uh, sure, they, you know, those people that, that don't have cars uh, and they're the marginal services that in some sense have been cross subsidize heaven forbid or you know or 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 put up with uh because on some other services where the normal commuters uh, uh and, and uh, the high paying jobs sort of things uh sort of uh, have enough of a of a um, of a carrying capacity and and, and bottom to, to to provide some of these marginal services that that really the uh, the poor or the blue collar or the the um, the um, uh, emergency workers um, uh, use and unfortunately uh, uh, guess what gets cut 
There's all the things out there on the tail of the distribution, which which are really where the people who desperately need mobility uh, happen to be located. They don't have access to cars. They can't walk it and so on. So, yes, this is this is very troubling. And of course, um, these systems, the classical uh, transit system has been, let's say, you know, totally inflexible. They've had fixed routes, fixed schedules, and so on, and 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 are not demand responsive to be able to then then modify and and and, and be resilient uh, to then uh, follow the demand as opposed to follow whatever the people in the front office say. Hey, we're going to run these services. We're going to stop at these places. Uh, there may have been somebody there in the past. Who cares? I'm being very brutal. Sorry, uh, overstating it, but but that's the situation that exists. And it underscores what you've been talking about for years on the podcast and and everywhere else about the need for mobility for all and the role this technology can play in that. The role the technology of now having an opportunity to be resilient, to be demand responsive, responsive, to be flexible fundamentally important here um right now it may may cost a little bit more than the other but of course the value uh, is embedded there and with this technology i'm sure we're still all working at it we're not out there uh, testing on the streets but guess what everybody who is writing code for any of this stuff is running simulations uh, to the hilt uh, and um what else do you have to do but stay on your computer and sit there and, um, you know, write code? So all you code writers, get out there and continue to do that. I mean, you know, you've been doing that in the basement of your of your parents' home anyway, so go at it. <laughs> I think they're playing video games, Alan. But- <laughs> no, they're not. No, they're not. No, they're not. No, they're, they're bored of the video games. Video games are bad. <laughs> write code for driverless cars. That's what's good. <laughs> Then there's, there's a Mashable report, Alan, that made the newsletter, which you say sounds like an April Fool's joke that says it took a coronavirus outbreak for self-driving cars to become more appealing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, right, I, I guess. You know, I each one of these uh, articles that I refer to that are labeled April 1, I have to be careful because, uh, you know, some years back in my class, um, uh, th- there was uh, an onion report. Of course, they didn't tell me it was the onion telling me about the, this new, um, kind of circular keyboard that really it, it improved the interaction of, of a human and a computer. And I've always been, you know, trying to figure out how do you get better interaction with computers? And I, you know, and I brought this in the class and I told them all about it and how great it was. And damn it, it was an onion. <laughs> and, it was, and, and they all laughed at me and whatever. And so, so I have to be careful when I get excited about, about some article. Uh, that it's not really come from the onion and and they're just goofing on me. A lot of people tend to goof on me every once in a while. <laughs> I, I got my grandson a couple of years ago on April Fool's Day when I told him that, you know, I review technology stuff and I told him that I was sent a passenger drone and I'd be flying down to pick him up and he, he got really excited. <laughs> 
yeah, I, you know, you, uh, they get me all the time. You know, they set me up and I just fall for it. I mean, I'm just a sucker for those things. Well, finally, Underwriters Laboratories has published a standard for safety for the evaluation of autonomous products. And uh, gosh, you, you looked at this and you thought, oh, no, not again kind of thing. Well, especially when one deals with, with these automated technology, they're never going to be perfect. Never. Perfection doesn't exist. Probability one, probability zero, you know, uh, they'll, they'll get close. The, the, in any of these things, it always works out to the, is the reward bigger than the risk. And how much bigger does the reward have to be for you to take the life's a risk? We take risks all the time. And, and in fact, you know, that in fact, that that's in some sense what makes life worth living, I guess. Be really boring to know, hey, there's no problem here. It's going to be easy. I mean, easy stuff ends up being boring. The challenging stuff, the stuff when, you know, you don't know the outcome, when you don't know whether or not it's whatever, and you may have to put up with some stuff, okay? Of course, then the question is, is, you know, when does a risk and reward deal, you know, appropriately? And and sure, um, analytics and numbers are really valuable in doing that, but it can't just be analytics and numbers because it isn't because it's humans making the, the decisions to – uh, associated between the risks and the rewards. And so in some sense, some of it comes from the gut as well as from the mind and the numbers. And especially as we look at what we're going through right now with respect to the numbers, I don't know. I mean, my view, the numbers are just terrible, terrible, because not only they have noise in them, okay, which is nice, you know, a Gaussian distribution maybe, they're biased, and we don't even know which way they're biased. They could be biased this way, that way, or who knows what ways. And, of course, we're there out there trying to make decisions on not just uncertainty with respect to noise, enormous uncertainty with respect to bias. And the bias may be, you know, somebody explicitly throwing the bias in there or implicitly or, you know, not or stupidly, uh, if that's a word. Just enormously difficult. So, yeah, it's nice that UL has a thing out there. Somebody wants to protect their butts because they're, you know, they they do the UL thing. Great, wonderful. Uh, but in the end, uh, you know, um, uh, life's a risk. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I mean at least that's that's my my view. It'd be nice if it was nice, deterministic, and just go by the numbers. Huh? I mean, then it's trivial. That's why all this AI, there's no AI, cut it out, you know, it's even stop using the name. I mean, it's just stupid. No surprise to <laughs> to our listeners and, and now, now viewers that the uh, Smart Driving Car Summit at Princeton, the fourth annual, is not going to be taking place next month as you'd been planning, but hopefully in the fall. Well, uh, you know, I, I think Zoom has turned out to be so good, even though it has its problems with respect to privacy. And, you know, don't look up my LinkedIn information. I am not a member of LinkedIn. Okay. Whatever is in there is as far as I am looked, but it's got to be garbage. Uh, so, um, um, you know, 
don't bother about that privacy piece. But Zoom has worked out to be really quite good. I mean, I've, I've started thinking maybe we need to do um, – uh, we could do a virtual session of some sort, some form, and uh, and then I think uh, the, this is our third try here at, at using Zoom and, and providing a video version. Uh, we're going to keep experimenting with this, and whether or not this then uh, explodes to then be uh, um, a Zoom summit uh, as a, a virtual summit of uh, of some form, uh, as opposed to, to a physical one. We will look to do a physical one in in October. We have it, you know, sort of uh, penciled in the third week of, of October, which, of course, everybody must have penciled in something for the third week of October since, I guess, uh, you know, maybe when we when we all feel comfortable enough to c- come close together and hug each other or something like that. But uh, um, um, we're looking for that. And again, um, we need to be resilient. Uh, we need to be able to uh, turn on a dime. Um, uh, things are changing. Unpredictable, as Andre Greenewald found out in conferencing with us before with his son, uh, Gibson. We, yeah. want to, we want to thank Andre again for, for taking Absolutely. the time to join us today. Absolutely. And it was fine. It was great to have Gibson. And, and uh, I'm surprised that Helen hasn't come in here and uh, whatever. And, it'd be, you know, whatever. It would just uh, um, I think we're we're all one of the good things about this is maybe we'll all be much more resilient and therefore uh, not so uptight. And um, and um, and that may be another one of the good things that comes out of all of this. Uh, we keep looking for silver linings on this one. Um, uh, because the other news is just, is just not very pretty. It's just not very pretty. No, it's not. And, uh, good advice, Alan. That'll wrap up this edition. Thanks to our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF. The ticker symbol for the ETF is MOTO. And more information is available at MOTOETF.com. You can find us at SmartDrivingCar.com, also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. You can ask your smart speaker to play us, too. You can find my tech reports at Textonation.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening, and please stay safe and well. Yes, and do uh, physical distancing, not social distancing, okay? And we'll see you all soon.